of the not ready for primetime players. Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi, Gene Curtin, Garrett Morris, Lorraine Newman, and Gilda Radner. Ladies and gentlemen, Ralph Nader. Thank you very much, of course. I feel a slight loss of innocence doing this show tonight. After all, this television studio is in the RCA building in Midtown Manhattan, the heart of corporate America. I had my doubts about working here, but I must say that everybody here has been very friendly and helpful. To be honest, I didn't really expect this much cooperation, especially since my research groups have been investigating the RCA Corporation, which owns NBC, for a number of corporate abuses. We're concerned about their hazardous working conditions, alleged price fixing, bribes to foreign officials, and too much television violence. Welcome to Michael and Us. I'm Will Sloan, once again, here with... Luke Savage. Hey, guys. A big thing happened to you. You know, you're you're a left Twitter superstar. Obviously, you have many fans, but when you're a left Twitter star, you get certain enemies. What happened to you? <laughs> You know, we, we got to begin the episode with, with this because it's a very serious situation, of course. And we're um, actually calling on, like, Michael and Us Nation to get out there and try to, <laughs> well, try, well, to try to reverse the situation. I, w- I woke up uh, the, the other day and, and I can't remember, like, somebody, I think, was retweeting what I could see was a John Cusack tweet or linking to one. But, I it you know, it was like, this tweet is not available. So I clicked mm-hmm. on it and it turns out John Cusack, star of High Fidelity, War Inc., Dragon Fist, yeah, of uh, course, with Jackie Chan. Gross Point Blank. He yeah. he'd uh, he blocked me on Twitter, so I I don't know what I don't know what I said or did, but uh, what was great was as a joke, I you know tweeted something like, "Can people anyone who knows John Cusack tell him to unblock me?" And then there's like a whole bunch of people who are very sweet, earnestly tweeting at John Cusack, saying stuff like, "Luke Savage is one of the good ones, John. <laughs> block me instead." <laughs> So thanks to everyone who did that. Do you have any other high-profile blocks? President of the United States. Oh, that's true. How, how's that? <laughs> Sorry, you know, I you probably thought that I was like goading you. Into I thought that, you, but were, I for, you were you were you were setting me up. You were teeing teeing me up. I there. actually forgot that you were blocked by the mm-hmm. president of the United States from before he was president. That's true. Uh, so now your Twitter feed is probably just like nonstop, like people getting angry over something they've quote tweeted. It's true. Actually, it's very really cryptic. Um, it's really strange. Like that, like, I think I actually experienced the Trump presidency really differently because I hardly ever actually see his Twitter feed. Mm-hmm. Like I can just see people being outraged and versions of like this, you know, people kind of caustically saying, this seems normal and things like that. And I just mm-hmm. having no idea what he's talking about. The same three or four joke variations. Yeah. Like, um, is, is the president a third grader? Does uh, President Trump think facts are fake news? Yeah. I'm blocked by Zach Braff. That's my, my biggest. Okay, well, you win. Don't I, rub yeah. it in my face. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that kind of preempts my next question, which are who are your good blocks? Well, but... aside from Zach Braff, uh, I mean, you know, I'm blocked by, you know, the people who everyone gets blocked by. I've never interacted with Arthur Chu. I've never right. interacted with Sadie Doyle. Right. But, I'm, yeah, I'm blocked but, by But them. you get blocked by those. And I think, mm-hmm. uh, oh, Frank D'Angelo. Peter Dow? Uh, not Peter Dow. Okay. I've never interacted with Peter right, Dow. Right. So, I mean, D'Angelo, I, I think yeah. we all know why that happened. Yeah. Uh, oh, and uh, 
Rob and Doug Ford. Really? Yeah. Like you're blocked by the the sort of in memoriam Rob Ford yeah, account that, that's, that's right. still there. Wow. That's right. And yet uh, Norm Kelly hasn't blocked you because of course lions <laughs> don't lose sleep over the opinions of sheep. Uh, that's a little reference to the last episode, folks. You'll you'll want to if you're not caught up, you'll want to get caught up now. Anyway, uh, I guess we'll go we'll go right into it after this uh, extremely online portion of uh, the episode. Uh, so, what did we watch this week? We watched Ralph Nader, an Unreasonable Man, a documentary about the consumer advocate slash failed presidential candidate slash reason for George W. Bush. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, that was released in 2006, <laughs> kind of at the height of disaffection around Ralph Nader. As you know, I am running for president on an independent uh, slate in all 50 states. The important thing here is to have presidential politics pay attention to the necessities of the American people because presidential politics has been broken for a long time. The two parties have been broken. They need a wake-up call. They need somebody to hold their feet to the fire inside the electoral arena. That's the only language they understand. Outside of Jerry Falwell, I can't think of anybody I have greater contempt, contempt for than Ralph Nader. And I, no one in the history of the world is on a bigger ego trip than Ralph Nader. One is always right. One is, one is, one is prefabricated in purity. I think this is Ralph Nader's understanding of the world. He can't make mistakes because he's saintly. Thank you, Ralph, for the Iraq war. Thank you, Ralph, for the tax cuts. Thank you, Ralph, for the destruction of the environment. Thank you, Ralph, for the destruction of the Constitution. I find this worse than naive. I think it borders on the wicked. I just think the man needs to go away. I think he needs to live in a different country. He's done enough damage to this one. Let him damage somebody else's now. This was a very difficult movie for me to watch because... Well, you've seen it before. Well, I mean, as you know, while I didn't support the George W. Bush presidency, (laughs) I respect him as a leader. I think that when you look at the Iraq war, even if it was unsuccessful, you can see the the tarnished ideals of America in there. And I think he's become a, a very necessary voice in the resistance to Trump. Well, and, and, and I mean, if, what, if, if Bush hadn't invaded Iraq, the Arab Spring never would have happened. Let's, he planted yeah. the seeds of Jeffersonian idealism. It, it's true. And, in, and in, in the soil of Mesopotamia. But what makes me so angry is that Ralph Nader made the Bush, the, the, the noble Bush presidency possible. And I think for that, <laughs> Ralph Nader can never be forgiven what what i hate him most for is that john Kerry, you know i think was one of the greatest presidential candidates in history almost as good as hillary rodham clinton you know he was a he was a veteran he would have done the very necessary iraq war but he would have done it responsibly (laughs) he would have had an exit strategy that's right he would have known who the sunnis and the shiites Mm -hmm. were that's right you know and he would have built the same international coalition except it would have had a un label on it as he said at the d can't even i can't you can't even maintain the as as he said (laughs) at the dnc speech he was gonna hunt and kill the terrorists wherever they were so like we didn't even need bush this guy I was going to do all the stuff that Bush was promising to do, but but better. You know? So uh, this this film was sent to us and recommended to us by Michael and us fan uh, named Nicholas in Kansas. Hello, Nicholas. Uh, so thanks for that. Shout out to Nicholas. Yeah, I mean, I got to say this is the most immersion in Ralph Nader stuff I've had for a long time. I have a, a book which... Um, 
is just kind of out on the table nearby, which is the Ralph Nader Reader, published in 2000, which uh, I purchased for the princely sum of five ninety nine a few and, years and back. Spine and spine noticeably uncracked. I, I actually have read uh, okay. at least 30 pages of it. Oh, Thank you very okay. much. Okay, not, bad, not um, bad. Although not for a good long time. The- we were flipping through this book and there's a whole section on tort reform. <laughs> uh, <laughs> cheap shot. Um, <laughs> I, and, you know, like yeah. the picture on the cover is Ralph Nader looking bored and he looks, he looks pretty bored as if he were reading his own I, book i gotta say i i didn't read and none of the 30 pages came from the tort reform uh <laughs> chapter or the five chapters <laughs> so this film is pretty much just straight uh run through of you know ralph nader's career first as a consumer advocate and then as as a two-time presidential candidate and you know it's not a 100 percent. i mean i think in general ralph nader comes comes out pretty well in the film it's a sympathetic it's a sympathetic but they do include some kind of you know countervailing voices so these kind of forgotten uh sort of liberal journalists like there's a guy called eric alterman who was at the time a columnist at the nation and it's really hard to imagine him existing outside of a context where he's appearing in front of a camera and a <laughs> turtleneck talking about how how ralph nader is evil so there are a few kind of voices like that in the film um there are also i guess the other type of voice are people that came through they were nader's raiders they came through the public interest group and you know some of those people you know even if they retained a personal um affection for him and admiration they felt that he he shouldn't have run but overall it's a it's a sympathetic portrayal well it was interesting watching this movie i mean we're we're two people who came of age after the 2000 election so our perception of ralph nader is probably heavily through the prism of that election mm-hmm. i mean we know he was a famous consumer advocate the man more than anyone else responsible for having seat belts and mm-hmm. airbags and cars i don't think it's it, it's not living memory for us how famous he was at his peak we see him in this documentary hosting saturday night live yeah we see him on the mike douglas show next to yoko ono and john lennon mm. we see him on the cover of time magazine and on people magazine it's a big deal it's easy to forget what a what a popular and beloved figure he was at the time. And in the section on the 2000 election, we see him fill Madison Square Garden during his campaign. And we see people like Bill Murray and Michael, you know, patron saint of the podcast, <laughs> Michael Moore and Susan Sarandon giving Tim Robbins, Tim Robbins giving speeches for him. And it's kind of like this rock star event, very much like like a proto Bernie Sanders rally. Yeah. And, you know, when this rally happened, his accomplishments would have been much more of a living memory Mm -hmm. for people. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's interesting to spend a little time there, you know, being reminded who Ralph Nader is and that, that, that there is an actual substance to him. Yeah. And I mean, like even before, you know, before 2000, I think it's safe to say that Ralph Nader had accomplished much more in making life better for the American people in a kind of, you know, quiet and largely self selfless way than, you know, most of the people who sort of squawk the the loudest about how, you know, who are mostly just kind of, yeah, we see like James Carville in the beginning saying, you know, that there's nobody on my list than than Ralph Nader. He compares him to like Jerry Falwell, you know, um, I think Eric Alterman, I think it's him that, you know, basically explains Nader's 2004 run by saying, uh, you know, there's there's something, you know, kind of mentally wrong with him or something, Mm -hmm. you know, and all all the people that say that kind of stuff. I mean, um, how many hundreds of thousands of lives have you saved through (laughs) consumer protection? laws jerks (laughs) i mean one thing that comes across 
with Ralph Nader is like, I mean, if there were a Ralph Nader presidency, it would be like four years of Jimmy Carter's crisis in confidence speech. Yeah, you know, he, probably. He's, he's a difficult guy to spend two hours of a movie yeah. with. He's, he's rigorously uncompromising. It's one of his virtues that we see in this documentary that people who worked at his organization that later went on to work in the Carter administration, he held their feet to the fire and in some cases called on them to resign. He's not depicted as somebody who was bound by loyalty. And as, as I said to you when that part of the film was happening, you know, that resonates with me as somebody who kind of works in, you know, works in public interest stuff, because I think in general, something you see over and over again, I mean, particularly in, in, um, you know, much more so, I think, in electoral politics, you see people all over the political spectrum who just, you know, whole kind of campaign dynamics and Mm -hmm. things that are shaped by personal loyalties, by personal networks, where people are willing to go absolutely to the mattress for things that are either compromised or completely indefensible and unethical because they know someone or, Mm -hmm. you know, because they're an alumni of a certain campaign and Mm -hmm. they feel, you know, and and I think that's really corrosive, well, to democracy. Yeah, and I guess kind of similar to that point, there are are many people who will support the Democratic Party no matter what because that's their team. Yeah. He, He makes a case in this documentary that if we don't hold the Democrats' feet to the fire, like, they won't owe us anything, you know? Right, and, and the film provides a pretty, and the kind of Nader people in the film provide a pretty accurate and, and quite compelling prequel narrative to his 2000 run for president, which is throughout the 60s and 70s, public interest groups were able to win, were able to extract gains, real gains, from Democratic congresses and presidencies and it's not that they won 10 times out of 10 but they are able to win you know three or four times out of 10 around not all you know transformative policies but things which had a meaningful impact on like consumer protections and things like that and then in the 1980s the 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 republicans successfully attacked the new deal coalition which had been kind of the basis for you know, these these material uh, and political gains on the left. And um, Democrats started pandering more and more to business, um, even when they were, you know, the Democrats, you know, controlled Congress through, throughout, you know, parts of the 70s, 80s, um, and I guess the early 90s. And yet the Nader people weren't seeing stuff happening. It's because some- as the Democrats felt mm. the left had nowhere to go anyway right we don't we never need to appeal to them and so it starts with jimmy carter you know failing to pass consumer protection stuff even when there are people in his, his administration that come out of these public interest groups and then it ends with you know in the clinton presidency where there's just not even the faintest kind of you know respect paid to these these groups so that leads nader to say well there needs to be an alternative if the democrats aren't gonna half embrace this stuff most people feel they're losing control to the big guys, the fat cats that dominate the country. doesn't matter whether they put a conservative, liberal, progressive label on. They don't, uh, they don't like to see the country being taken from them, the democracy for sale. The very things we should do for the family pocketbook, more fuel-efficient cars, more solar energy, more fuel-efficient appliances, lighting, air conditioning systems, will also reduce the contribution to global warming. I would make sure corporations pay their fair share of taxes so the rest of the individuals don't have to pay what they're now paying. You know, if corporations paid the same rate of taxation as they did in the prosperous 1960s, we have another $250 billion in the Treasury. There are almost 50 million people in this country making less than 10 bucks an hour. 10 bucks. Some of them are making eight, seven, six, five, fifty. You can support a family on that? Watching this movie 
after the financial crisis, after the Bernie Sanders candidacy is a very different experience. There are some, I guess, interesting parallels and divergences from the Bernie Sanders campaign. I guess we can kind of go over them one at a time. One of the divergences is the fact that Bernie in his presidential campaign ran as a Democrat. Ralph Nader, at various times in stock footage, talks about the ability to change the system from within. But he didn't seem to believe that when it came to running for president. By running as a Green Party candidate, he seemed to regard his candidacy as symbolic, primarily. Mm. What do you think of that? I think that that uh, a little bit understates what he was at least trying to do. I mean, I'm sure he recognized the limitations of trying to build an alternative you know, a third political current um, with a popular base. But I mean, I think he and and the people around him had kind of reached a point where they didn't really see an alternative. And so, I mean, you you have to try, even if even if that means you get 5% in one election, you know, maybe in the next election, you get 10%. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, maybe you have a breakthrough. And I I, I assume that was their that was their Mm -hmm. game plan. I mean, one thing that he could have done was run as a Democrat, like Bernie Sanders did, and perhaps do surprisingly well, or perhaps he could have turned yeah. into Dennis Kucinich. I mean, I mean, um, one of the one of the campaign advisors says you run as a dem in the film says you run as a Democrat, mm-hmm. you're out by March or something. Mm-hmm. Of course, one of the other variables is there was an incumbent vice president mm-hmm. who was running, so that would have, um, you know, that would have created yeah. problems. But yeah. with such a with such an entrenched incumbent, Ralph Nader can start to seem like since he's the only alternative, and such he's a dra- he's such a dramatic alternative. Mm-hmm. It's true, you know? And, and you know, Ralph Nader actually engaged very directly with this question in a in a Washington Post op ed published uh, in March of 2016. Mm-hmm. And it's titled, Ralph Nader, Why Bernie Sanders Was Right to Run as a Democrat. And I'll just read. He says, during a recent town hall in Columbus, Ohio, Senator Bernie Sanders said the unthinkable. At least you have thought he did, judging by the response of several Democratic operatives. Sanders was deemed extremely disgraceful by Donna Brazile, friend of the show, (laughs) uh, vice chair of the Democratic National Committee, and a political calculating fraud by Brad Woodhouse, a former DNC chair or uh, communications director. What was his crime? The old-fashioned Rooseveltian New Dealer had answered a question about why he is running as a Democrat instead of an independent, with typical candor. In terms of media coverage, you had to run within the Democratic Party, he observed, adding that he couldn't raise money outside the major two-party process. As one of the more successful third-party presidential candidates in recent history, I know firsthand the obstacles Sanders might have faced if he had run as an independent. The reality is that Sanders is right, and the backlash against him reflects all too well what two-party tyranny can do to a more-than-nominal third-party challenger. This is especially true of candidates like Sanders, who, despite advancing political views similar to the classic Democratic New Deal platform, now sits well to the left of the party's hawkish, corporatist establishment. But he concludes by, uh, by saying... Given another chance, I still wouldn't run as a Democrat. I continue to disagree with the party's platform and direction. Sanders is different, though. However he's appeared on Vermont Balance in the past, he's really a progressive Democrat. He has caucused with the party in Congress for decades, even if its corporatist core has abandoned his New Deal priorities. By running as a Democrat, Sanders declined to become a complete political masochist, and he avoided exposing his campaign to immediate annihilation by partisan hacks. Because if he had run as an independent, he would have faced only one question daily in the media, as I did. Do you see yourself as a spoiler? The implication being, of course, that he had no chance of winning. His popular agenda would have been totally ignored by a horse race obsessed mass media, which would have latched on instead to a narrative in which Sanders was unfairly hurting Hillary Clinton's chances. Wow, a good good thing we dodged that bullet. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so you know, we'll we'll link to the article there, but I, I think it's it's very interesting that uh 
you know, that was kind of the line that uh, the Nader took. Frankly, I think Bernie Sanders would just save himself a lot of headaches if he became a Democrat, you know, as opposed to... As I, I, I completely disagree. I, I think I think so much of his appeal comes from the fact that that's not... I think he's... I think what he's doing is... I mean, let's not open this can of worms, but I think that... I think what he's doing is... Um, I mean, he's he's running an independently financed. Um, he ran an independently financed campaign, um, the the most successful of that kind in mm-hmm. American history. Mm-hmm. Um, he did so while kind of finessing, as Nader recognizes, finessing this this you know uh, sclerotic two party system and all of the obstacles it throws up. Um, I think if he became a Democrat, um, it, he would. I don't think he would be as popular. He, He's a Democrat in all but name, really. He can't. No, he's he, running as an independent he, 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 in Vermont he, in the next election. I know, but he campaigns for Democrats. He, he tries he, to influence no, the Democratic right, platform because 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 he uh, sees his job is to extract maximum political gains mm-hmm. to in the context of a of a what's currently a frozen political system to to do the best within that that you can to support the people. Uh, you know, like I mean, this Democratic Socialist in Virginia that defeated the Republican. Um, majority whip uh last week you know he's he's a dsa member but he's running as a democrat because it's the only way he's going to get um elected but by not being in the in the democratic party he just gives all these assholes just one more cudgel to it beat doesn't him matter do you think do you really think any of those people do you think the peter dows and near no they would they wouldn't like would him, but, it, no. but, it, but it takes away a very easy cudgel that they have i just don't think anybody actually like how many how many no, i don't think most how people many care people either. out there no, I don't, care about yeah. the he's not even a democrat no slur. i think very a few bunch people of care. weirdo blue check marks on yeah. twitter who are extremely online and like Every day they wake up is the day that, uh, you know, uh, McGovern yeah. lost to Nixon. They just, you know, it's... But all those fucking people have Twitter accounts and they're loud and it gives takes one cudgel away from them. And it's a man who is spending all his time campaigning for Democrats anyway. And and in spite of their best efforts, Sanders has like an, something like an 80 or 85 Look, percent. I love the guy. I love so the guy. I just think, Let's just agree to disagree. I on just this point. I, I, I just think it's a stupid point you're making anyway. Oh, uh, hey, fuck you, pal. <laughs> little Mike Lemastrana here for you folks. Yeah, you know, um, listen, it's about time we disagreed on this podcast. <laughs> you know, we've been so harmonious for like 40 episodes. Uh, OK, so the next I guess, comparison to the Bernie Sanders campaign. In this movie, we see him, as I said, at this sold-out Madison Square Garden event, which has, I don't know, what was it, 10,000 people? 20,000. 20,000 people at it. And, of course, it gets buried on page 20 of the New York Times. A16 of the New York Times the next day. Yeah, uh, I mean... If Nader ran now, even as an independent, I mean, he still wouldn't win as an independent. He might still only get five or ten percent, but he would be less easy to ignore. You know. Well, imagine you know we were we were watching this footage of him. You know, the event has a lot of dynamism, and I mean, Gore and Bush were not addressing events of this of this size. You know, they're probably too busy addressing like ten thousand dollar a plate dinners for hedge funds and stuff. But anyway, like. You know, the event has a lot of dynamism. As we're watching, I was thinking, imagine if all these people had smartphones and they were tweeting. It would have been impossible. Like, mm-hmm. imagine mm-hmm. the digital footprint that would have had, to use kind of a hackneyed phrase. Like, and, and I mean, journalism being what it is, like, you would have had all these lazy journalists mm-hmm. doing aggregated tweet articles yeah. about this event. You would have had Twitter moments. Yeah. You would have had, yeah. you know. Because it's easy. Yeah. And so I do think technology, like, I'm not too much of a technological determinist, really, when it comes to politics, but I think that it, it really has helped. Like, I don't think the kind of insurgent 
left campaigning that's emerged over the past few years uh, would have had anything like the success it's had if, it, if not for uh, social media. Mm-hmm. And I guess the last point is Bernie Sanders ran after the 2008 collapse and he ran after eight years of Obama's, I don't know, I think you'll agree with me on this, failed promise. <laughs> uh, whereas in 2000, Nader was running at a time of relative prosperity. Mm-hmm. It's a very different world. Mm-hmm. And yet, like, there was so much about the, the nasty stuff people were saying about Ralph Nader in this movie that was just exactly like the stuff people say about Bernie. It's remarkable uh, how Susan Sarandon, much Jill of what Sine. he, yeah. what, much of what Nader says in this movie is. I mean, th- I, you know, the rot was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah, and I mean, he says, um, so you know, you win, and so what? I mean, you know, he he presented a bunch of things to Kerry in two thousand and four, and said, you know, let's both run on this stuff. Like, if you agree, we, you know, we care about these three big issues and Carrie Carrie wouldn't do it. So mm-hmm. and it's so then you win. And what are the three big issues? It's like be against corporate welfare. Yeah. Stuff that would be R- would be popular. You know, strengthen yeah. strengthen labor laws yeah. and I forget what the stuff third one is. Stuff that should be like, you know, Bedrock, basic democratic, democratic terrain yeah. and they don't want to go near it because their donor base doesn't want to go near it. And Carrie still lost. And Carrie still lost. So and it's like just as with Hillary Clinton's extremely compromised, you know, targeted to conservative uh, suburban voters type campaign, you know, just if if, if it can't even win an election against a George Bush <laughs> or a Donald Trump, I mean, what Gore did win the popular vote, though. Yeah. And yet he lives on my street. <laughs> um, so would you want to talk about, you know, the idea that Nader cost Gore the election? Yeah, we need to we need to get into this. I have a criticism of the way the film addressed this. We'll yeah. we'll get in we'll get into it. But well, first of all, uh, when your candidate loses was by like, what, 300 votes or whatever mm-hmm. it ended up being in mm-hmm. Florida, you know, any number, I mean, any number of factors contribute to an election that close. Well, so of all, course, the, all Nader, the all the other third parties, yeah. even the like there was something I think like the socialist workers party of the usa got like 500 votes which would have been but but i mean there are so many problems with the nader cost let's go through them in terms of like scale so first of all just kind of as an empirical matter it does not follow that fifty thousand people i think nader got around fifty thousand votes in florida Mm -hmm. that they automatically vote for the democrats in fact as as some uh tv pundit rightly points out in this film you know, a lot of those people are people who the reason they're voting for Nader is because they're fed up with the two-party system. It doesn't translate. People doing the same thing with the Clinton campaign being like, oh, if only Jill Stein and Gary Johnson hadn't run. Mm-hmm. And it's just it just doesn't follow. The Democrats don't, do not, as a matter of course, they don't just get all the votes that aren't Republican votes. Not only do they not get them, though, and this is the next kind of layer of this, they're not entitled to them. In a democracy, uh, in a free in a free society, it's just the most basic, it almost kind of sounds hackneyed to say it out loud, but you're supposed to have, you know, multi-party system in which people are able, any citizen can stand for, I mean, think about our elections here in, in Canada, like you've probably, have you ever been at a debate where like Kevin Clark shows up uh, or something? I've been to debates with like the Animal Alliance Party sure, and Sure, right, that. and yeah. and and like there are uh, obstructions to kind of fourth party challenges here in Canada, but I mean, it's not hard for people to stand for elections. In city politics, you can actually run a pretty, you know, in Toronto anyway, you can run a pretty credible independent type campaign. And and that's just not really visible in American mm-hmm. democracy. And, and the people who expend so much energy demonizing people like Ralph Nader and their voters, you know, I had an argument with someone about this the other day who was blaming 
like the problem isn't that the Democrats are a compromised, you know, husk and, <laughs> you know, and rely too much on corporate donors and, and, you know, half the population doesn't even bother to vote because that's how much they don't like the Republicans, but they also don't like what's supposed to be the respectable, upright, you know, Harvard and Yale educated opposition. The, the problem is not all that. No, the problem is a bunch of people who did go to vote and care so much about the issues that they're not going to demean themselves by like in 2004 going to vote for John Kerry when he mm. says I would do the Iraq war <laughs> I would just do it better Susan Sarandon has rightly pointed out that you know the people who say you know oh you 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 were the celebrity that backed Jill Stein and she'll she'll tweet like a list of all the celebrities that backed Hillary Clinton mm -hmm. compared to just like she's the only one basically that backed Jill Stein it's the idea that these people are are spoilers I think is problematic both kind of in just as a basic empirical matter, but just as kind of a moral and ethical issue, you are you are doing more than attacking, like tarnishing people who are often quite progressive and well-meaning. You're actually tarnishing like just the most basic values of, I'm getting a little too earnest. You are, t you are tarnishing the most basic ideas of Jeffersonian democracy or any kind of, you know, multi-party, you know, democracy by, by making it like by stigmatizing any like the only way to be a, a progressive is to is to vote for the democrats i mean yeah. fuck that also we see you know uh, the turtleneck guy in this movie say that ralph nader's legacy is the iraq war right but like ralph nader didn't invade iraq no george w bush and the, Demo iraq. And the democrats supported the fucking iraq yeah, war exactly. so shut the fuck exactly. up <laughs> yeah like uh in 2006 the democrats you know ran on a kind of faintly anti-war platform because the war was really unpopular by that point and they said to the anti-war movement you help us take back the house and we're gonna put a stop to this and what happened they took back the house and they voted for billions more in funding for george bush's war and if that doesn't vindicate ralph nader's whole critique I don't know what does. We saw Noam Chomsky in one of these documentaries we watched, one of the anti-Michael Moore mm. ones. He said something along the lines of, so much of the kind of democratic and media opposition to the war wasn't, it wasn't a moral opposition. It yeah. was the fact that the war wasn't going it well. It was prosecuted, like, incompetently. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, <laughs> if we did it, we, we would have gone over there and we would have we known which Iraqis were which Iraqis. That's right, yeah. And we would have involved them a little more in the process Ugh. and it would have been great and they would have greeted us as liberators. <laughs> the students are not learning. They're not learning citizen skills. They're not learning how to practice democracy. They're not learning the creative force of their personality and idealism and imagination maybe if we started talking about citizen globalization civic globalization instead of corporate globalization the world will move forward I, one, one more final point on this, like, Nader is spoiler myth. Okay, so if, if you're a small-D Democrat and you think that Nader is a spoiler, well, if you're a small-D Democrat who's also a big-D Democrat and you're arguing Nader's a spoiler, you can't have it both ways. Either mm -hmm. Nader is not significant enough to affect the outcome of an election, or if he is even faintly, then the Democratic Party presumably has some obligation to speak to those voters um, and to their concerns and to win their votes. We see Kerry at one point in this film, you know, kind of on the hustings saying, I'm going to appeal to all people in this election. So, you know, there, an alternative won't be necessary. And he absolutely did not provide that alternative. Maybe one final difference in the campaigns of Ralph Nader and Bernie Sanders are when I look at Ralph Nader's campaign, I say, what is what is the big vision here? Yeah. And the big vision, I don't know, seems like a protest vote. It, it, the big vision is a protest against 
two bigger parties. Yeah, and have, corporate influence. Yeah, and corporate and, influence. Yeah. But there's no unifying philosophy in a way. I mean, it, yeah. I mean, because Ralph Nader, like I, so I, I have, I have nothing but respect for Ralph Nader's uh, campaigning. It's not even really that much of a criticism of him, but I, I agree with you. I think mm-hmm. that, like, my uh, sense of him watching this film and, and reading from that uh, that book over there is that you know he's a guy that comes out of sort of like well-intentioned and like definitely left-leaning like public interest sort of non-profit campaigning Mm -hmm. and that isn't the same it's that's not a that's not a bad tradition to come out of um but it's not the same as if you come out of like a radical left tradition Mm -hmm. because then you're gonna have you know some kind of unified philosophy and i think that actually matters even if ralph nader was saying things that are kind of similar to what Bernie was saying. I think if there's a kind of unified philosophy, and you know, in the case of Bernie, like he's attached to an American mm-hmm. tradition that's at least a hundred years old, mm-hmm. and that I think that matters. One final point: as we were watching this, and we were watching these rallies where people are singing like ancient folk songs, <laughs> and they're kind of cosplaying the 60s mm-hmm. you mentioned that one of the problems with the left in this era was that there was nothing to kind of like make it fun there was no youth well there, there's no, there no there's, energy there's no intellectual i don't yeah. see where are the intellectuals i mean that's the other thing is like yeah. you know in the early 2000s i was attracted to the left i mean i read like i noam chomsky was an introduction to politics for mm-hmm. me i mean a certain amount of this i imagine is is just being kind of 13 or 14 and not you know just not knowing anything but mm-hmm. Like the left didn't feel like it, the left was ad busters, you know, yeah. it was and or it was it were it was these things that were kind of well intentioned, but often amateurish and seemed to kind of le- or the left was like Michael vegetables. Moore. Yeah. It yeah. Seemed, and, um, it's or, stu- or Michael Moore, where it's fundamentally unserious. Yeah. The, or or um, disingenuous. Yeah, or there was like stuff that um, I mean the la- the American left at, at that time it seems to me apart from Nader a lot of it would have been sort of you know like the Revolutionary Communist Party of the USA yeah. like these things that just don't appeal to you unless you're like a very yeah. niche kind of person and, and now I feel like there's a there's the foundations of a much more kind of ecumenical and mass based kind of left that doesn't seem like there were kind of young intellectuals then that were you know, giving this intellectual robustness, but there's just, there's also just nothing to kind of make it cool. And, and I feel like now we kind of have that. Ralph, go back to examining the rear end of automobiles and don't risk costing the Democrats a White House this year as you did four years ago. We would be remiss if we didn't mention that uh, the godfather of the podcast, the the Grant Poobah, Michael Moore himself, appears in this documentary in stock footage in a couple of occasions. He vigorously supported Ralph Nader in 2000 and then turned against him in 2004 for, you know, the same reason that a lot of people turned against him. You know, now was not the time for purity politics. You know, we tried that last time and, and we lost Florida because of it. And we have to compromise a little bit. I want to know when the time, like, for fuck purity <laughs> politics, when, when do we just get to do politics? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Obviously, we are not convincing you with any of our words, so I'm just going to say, because of all your great service, and because we do really love you, but we disagree with you on this, Michael and I are going to get down on our knees and beg you not to run. (laughs) Please. 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 Ralph! Please, Ralph! Because you're a great American, don't run. Please. Don't do this. Please. Did you enjoy Michael Moore's appearances in the film? Well, I really think, you know, and this came up, I I didn't realize when we started on this this grand, beautiful venture that's become Michael and us, I didn't realize that he'd gone after Nader in 2004. 
And he really, he really did. And it just in the span of, a, of like four years. And his attack on Nader was pretty, it was pretty nasty. And it was like all the stuff that he'd campaigned against in, mm-hmm. in 2000. It was all the, the kind of bogus political epistemology that says you have to compromise yourself before you vote and all that mm-hmm. stuff. He'd campaigned against that. And he's cynic, pretty cynically. I mean, I don't think Moore comes off well. He comes off as somebody um, who's, you know, won an Oscar and is a little, and a Palme d'Or and is just maybe a little, mm-hmm. you know. Well, Michael, if you want to defend yourself. Michael, go on Michael and us. The the door is open. You can come on the podcast anytime you want. Before we go, we'd uh, like to do a shout out to Joseph Aronowski, my old friend from University Residence, uh, who made a Michael and us bingo sheet on twitter mm. we, we hear that this is uh this is making appearance at, at bingo halls all over the midwest uh, P, uh, the fans are having michael and us parties now <laughs> and some of the spaces include uh criticism of john Kerry's presidential campaign <laughs> uh will does an impression of michael moore they criticize michael moore by comparing him to andy borowitz <laughs> Uh, Luke tries to get back on track and then talks about a topic unrelated to Michael Moore slash the movie they're discussing. Hey. Uh, <laughs> a scene is described as the nadir of the film. <laughs> uh, a reference is made to Al Gore winning the popular vote. <laughs> so uh, we, they, they, we, we've hit bingo a long time ago. They talk about ad busters. Uh, <laughs> Luke calls someone a friend of the show. A thoughtful critique of the military industrial complex. <laughs> Reference to the rally to restore sanity. That's about half of the squares, you know. <laughs> Maybe I'll put a link to it in the... In yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, while we were watching this, we kind of had an idea about what we might do next. Because um, the show is taking us, you know, we're plunging further and further into these depths of like early 2000s masochism. And so I had an idea that what if we just watched... Like a Michael and us special edition, we just watched the 2004 debate between John Kerry and George Bush. Like, let's just let's stop beating around the bush. I'm amazed just, we haven't thought just of this go before. for the yeah. pure, yeah. like pure uncut. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it now. Watch this drive. <laughs>